0: Ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas! I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill, and I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad about Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da! You sound insane. You like
1: that? Oh, yeah.
0: The whole world got crazy! It's showtime. Not That's right. That's right. About Movies is your go to podcast for all things cinema. Every week, we talk movie news, movie rumors, and movie rumblings, and break down a chosen movie of the week. But don't fret if you haven't seen it, because we will warn you before we. And spoilers and stay tuned till the end of our show for weekly recommends in which each of us suggests something awesome that you the listener need to check out asap and remember you can find all of our episodes on our website at Podcast.com. this week's movie of the week
2: is what brian gill this week we're going to be talking about peter jackson's the hobbit battle of the five armies
1: And this is the first
2: film in the series, right? Yes. Yeah. Just a great way to kick off a new franchise. Eight, <laughs> okay. Seven, <laughs> eight films, maybe. Okay. Cool. I mean, it feels yeah.
0: so new. I yeah. mean, it, it really does feel like we haven't gotten any Tolkien
2: movies in the past 10 <laughs> years yep. at all. The, I'm pretty sure the fourth installment is just an awkward dinner party. That's it. <laughs> two and a half hours long but my that, favorite is uh you know in real time <laughs> i mean
0: it's it's well established at this point that <laughs> it's like 24 <laughs> you're right <laughs> i would i would actually see a a 24 like television series but based around the hobbit i would i would watch that but no it's well established that these movies uh these hobbit movies to be more specific uh, a little bit stretched out i guess you could say Uh, depending on who you are. I think Hobbit fans uh, want all the Hobbit that they can get, but people uh, not really into this are just like, when is it going to end? Sure. But one of my favorite SNL bits of all time is when they announced that they were going to stretch the Hobbit into three films. They did a bit where they pretended they stretched it out into like 40 films, and it was like Hobbit 7. Oops, I left something back at the Shire. Mind (laughs) if we double back? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, never gets old, but oh, that's funny. I
2: forgot about that. But Remember Brian, was funny? Mm, it's funny and tough.
0: Brian and I are well known. It's been out there for, uh, as long as we've done this podcast that him and I are big into the series, into the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series. So
2: we have matching Hobbit tattoos. We
0: do. Mine is, um, <laughs> mine's Elvish. What is yours? Like everyone on the cast.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just Elijah Wood, and strangely, he's not even in Hobbit games. But, uh... <laughs> just a big Elijah fan. Just...
1: Yeah, mine's just a nude Gimli. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll
0: post a picture on the website, so yeah, stay tuned yeah. for that.
2: The beard covers up most of the sensitive parts, so <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so this is the first franchise, guys,
0: that we've done on the show in which we started out with the first movie. And uh, here we are at the conclusion, and we've podcasted all three movies Wow, so far, really? So, yeah, we did it's an unexpected acid. journey back in the beginning of 2013.
2: Yep, what do I we think, think it was just you and I. It, of, it I was. Think, I think yeah. Richard was gone for that one. Richard
0: was gone, and so it was a great episode, uh, per usual. <laughs> and uh, and so we did the desolation of smog about this time last year, and uh, here we are, uh, the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies, mm. and uh, looking forward to breaking this down with y'all. The original title of the film, <laughs> The Hobbit, There and Back Again. And, uh, of course, it was changed a few months ago to the Battle of the Five Armies. And we'll talk about whether that was a good or bad decision, of course, a little bit later. But before we do that, it wouldn't be a Mad About Movies podcast without a little movie. Rumors, news, and rumblings. Movie news. Yes! Rumors and rumblings. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. I just want to start off this segment uh, and say to the fans, Merry Christmas. Hard to believe... At this point in time, we're about to head into year three of the Mad About Movies podcast. Damn. Unbelievable to think uh, think we've been doing this for almost three years now. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, I don't think we've missed a week in the past three years. We've released a podcast, at least one podcast a week for the past three years. So that's pretty, pretty crazy to think about, uh, all the hours that you... Uh, And I and us three and guests have talked about movies uh, over the past three years. So hundreds of hours of of movie conversations for you guys available, of course, on our website. And I just wanted to say a big thanks to the fans for keeping us here and um, impressing me each and every day and week when I upload our new show and see our past week's um, statistics. So, uh, you know very humbled uh, again at this Christmas to come here uh, and once again, be on this podcast with everybody. And I want to say another thank you uh, to the iTunes podcast team who has been extremely supportive of this show uh, featured us on the front page of the iTunes uh, podcast section last Oscar season. And we were on there for a few weeks and I'm sure a lot of our listeners found us that way when they saw us featured there. I know that, you know, Around Oscar season, we we got a lot of new listeners last year, and I just want to say thanks to them for continuing to support our show and featuring us under the Movie Fanatics section of of iTunes podcasts. On the number one podcast of Movie Fanatics is the Mad About Movies podcast, ahead of Rotten Tomatoes and Leonard Malton and Slash Film and Film Spotting and all of the all of the big movie yeah, podcasts.
1: Deal with um, it. Come at so, me, Malton.
0: So here we are, Mad About Movies. Um, and I just, again, want to say huge thanks to those people uh, at Apple headquarters that are, are truly supportive of our show and, and see what we're doing here. And, you know, we 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 wouldn't be here without them, seriously. Uh, you know, we don't ask for that type of stuff, but they give it to us, and they're very generous uh, with our show. So just another big thank you and Merry Christmas to those people. Yeah. So here we are, guys. Merry Christmas. I think – for movie news, there's, there's not a lot to talk about. There's a little bit more stuff going on surrounding this Sony hack that we've talked about for the past few weeks. Um, official word, of course, came down last podcast that Sony has officially canceled the release of the interview, the James Franco, Seth Rogen movie, uh, in which they assassinate or attempt to assassinate North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. President Obama has sort of come out in the past few days and said that we will retaliate, that Sony shouldn't have pulled the movie. Mm. And so this yeah, is – we're going to
1: hack North Korea's biggest movie. <laughs> he
0: said – yeah, he said we will <laughs> retaliate swiftly and appropriately I think was his direct quote. Um, but I, I don't see how that's possible. I mean it's not like they have uh, a lot of movies that people are dying to go out and see uh, this holiday season. But it's become more than – just uh, an issue that we will get together weekly and talk about on this podcast. You know, this has become a national, if not international, story, t- um, and uh, it's become a terrorism issue more than just a Hollywood politics issue. So, what do you? I guess I can just ask you guys, what have y'all thought about this whole thing? I mean, it's been a month now, and like I said, it's become such a big deal. Uh, <clears throat> did you ever see this? becoming this big and in your opinion, Brian, should it be taken as seriously as it has been taken?
2: Man, I no, I did not see it getting this big. Number one, it's just really taken over the news cycle, at least as far as the movie industry is gone, and then it's just kind of bled over into everything else. You know, we were looking for content to talk about in this segment before the show and there's just nothing every all anybody's talking about is this the interview bit and uh so it's been it's gotten much bigger than I would have ever thought. I think we were all all three, on some level at least, kind of in defense of Sony last week when we talked about it. Uh, just from a basis of like, what choice did they really have? Because if they do have these screenings, and then you have you actually do have attacks on the theaters and stuff like that, then they're basically liable for that. So I I, I couldn't blame them at the time. I thought President Obama's words were um, a little harsh, given that. From all indications, it seems like Sony consulted with the White House pretty extensively before making that call. So it kind of it kind of felt a little bit like uh, Obama and the administration were reacting to uh, the the outcry of of anger and whatnot about that decision, which is a little which would be very frustrating if you were involved with Sony. I don't know how credible the threat is, in – and. and It has seemed more and more in the last week since we talked about it last that maybe that threat was less credible than was originally thought. So I I imagine at some point this gets somehow released, whether it's Netflix or on demand or if they do some sort of distribution deal and get it out there once this has kind of died down a little bit. And, you know, it's created a lot of buzz for a movie that, I don't think a lot of people really cared about as much, but it may end up also costing a lot of executives their jobs and all the class action lawsuits are, are no joke and all that sort of stuff. So um, I imagine that when this is all said and done, it will be uh, a lot of smoke without much fire, but that's not I don't think that's going to save jobs. You know, I don't think that's going to protect uh, some people who, uh, right or wrong, are, are going to lose their jobs for this sort of thing.
0: Richard, any thoughts on this um, situation? I, I know this will, this might be – or hopefully this is the last time we talk about this on the show. Seriously. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I hope and pray for the people in Sony uh, and for America and the whole Hollywood spectrum that this goes away, that they, this is solved, this, this is resolved, and we can just move on from this. Uh, that's what I really hope. But here we are like four weeks in a row now that we're talking about this to start off the show. It's really an unfortunate situation and it should have never gotten this, gone this far, but unfortunately it has Richard. Like I said, hopefully this is the last time we talk about this, but any closing thoughts on this situation?
1: Well, I think it's such a new phenomenon and I don't think we know, um, as an audience or as a media really how to handle it. Right. So I would like to think, um, and I heard this put really well, uh, I don't know, I bet I read on CNN today, like, you know, if, if you were in um, if you were in Jennifer Lawrence's home or if you were in uh, Amy Pascal's home and she went into the other room, uh, you wouldn't go through her emails. But when they show up on, you know, uh, BuzzFeed or whatever, uh, yeah. you're going to read through them. And does not just because it's easy to access doesn't mean it's not stolen. And I think mm-hmm. as we get more and more access to these type of things, whether they're you know, someone's private pictures or their private emails or or things like that. I think we will be better at handling it. Um, I think the media will develop hopefully some type of rule on how to, what what exactly is newsworthy and what's not. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we didn't get it so much from the hack. We got it more from, you know, these kind of vulture, um, media types. So, and I don't blame them for it because it's, this is, there's no precedent for this. This is kind of new. And I, so I think the level of, um, impact that's that something that a hack like this could have, I think will be will will go down in, in years to come, I hope. But it is such a new phenomenon and an interesting phenomenon and it's everyone wants to see behind the curtain and, and I think people have enjoyed getting to see the behind the curtain. But then, you know, maybe it's just gonna be an old guy working a bunch of levers or something like Wizard of Oz and yeah. it won't be that interesting after a while. But yeah, it's certainly weird. I think, you know, if Obama says we're gonna strike back, you know, I think we should hack their their system so they only show Annie. <laughs> 24 hours a day for six months i thought torture was
0: uh illegal yeah well you know what you come at sony it's a war isn't that an act it, of war would that not be considered an act <laughs> of war let's be serious <laughs> north korea is only allowed to watch Annie for the next 25 years <laughs> for the un yeah
1: <laughs> yeah north korea is is a really confusing place and it's a it's a sad place in a lot of ways, and a lot of oppression and things like that, but it's e- easy also because we have with things like Team America and just, you know, um Kim Jong Il's self, you know, saying he he golfed a perfect 18 and things like that. We we kind of make them comic relief and it's totally understandable and I'm just as guilty as anyone. But, you know, at the end of the day there's starving people and it's like uh it gets sad the more you think about it, but it is they're really easy to make fun of and I don't think Sony or or Rogan and, and Goldberg thought that through so much because it, Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il and whoever the first one was always become pop culture figures. It's kind of like Saddam Hussein showing up on Arrested Development, but yeah. different in a different time. I, like I said, my, my thought is that I, th- I, do, I don't think this is the first... I mean, I don't think this is the last time this will happen. I, I would be surprised if it had this level of impact again, number one, because they will develop security against things like this. And number two, when they do come out, I think there will be standards and practices to follow. And it won't just be the Wild West of, oh, look what we found, blah, 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 you know, type of thing. So I, 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 at least I hope. It is is kind of a, a sad state of affairs, not judging anyone for reading the emails or like, you know, looking at things because I'm just as guilty. I've read so much of it. So I'm just as guilty, but I would like to think in years to come, I'd be, I'd be better.
0: Right, yeah, I haven't gone and out and researched. Uh, I mean, I, I heard that there were, you know, terabytes of a uh, hundred terabytes of data stolen from Sony. And uh, to put that in perspective, the Library of Congress is around ten terabytes of information. So, uh, a lot of stuff stolen, a lot of personal data, a lot of films, scripts. Uh, you know, of course, unreleased projects and things got got leaked, but. This was more than just, "Hey, uh, the CEO of Sony doesn't like Angelina Jolie." Like stuff like that that came out. This is this is an attack. Um, I heard about how they how it happened. I did research how it happened, and apparently, everyone at Sony that were on their computers at the same time, all of their computers showed like a skull and crossbones, and oh, a, wow. a message that said like. You are you have been hacked, this is you know, so and so. We we have all your information, you're not safe. Like something out of a movie, you know, <laughs> something yeah. you would see in a Michael Bay film or something. And um it said something into the effect of you're not safe, your family's not safe. Uh yeah, you know,
1: did, it finds something mid nineties, like that's it's, that it's of incredible. <laughs> I mean, and it happened, yeah,
0: just like that. <laughs> just like the uh uh, uh 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 from the Jurassic Park now. Um <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is a, an attack. I mean, they, they came at these people personally. Uh, apparently, they they stole all their personal email addresses. These hackers personally emailed Sony employees saying, if you don't reply to this email or comply with our demands, we're going to kill you. You know, it, it went that far wow. to where they were personally threatening these employees and said, if you don't quit your job at Sony, your family will die. And all this, you know, horrible horrible threats it, it was more than just let's steal some gossip about a movie and and sell it to TMZ you know this is mm. personally threatening people with violence and threatening our country they did with 911 with another with another terrorist attack against our country over a satirical comedy and and president obama said it best he said if this is what happens when they get upset about a satirical comedy just imagine what they're going to do if they see a documentary they don't like or a news report they don't like, you know, something that's actually serious. <laughs> um, and that's what's most disturbing, that these people – this might become a bigger issue than just this Sony hack. This might become the U.S. pays starts paying more attention to North Korea and what their motives are and everything. So, I mean, this is a big deal. And, and like I said, hopefully it's the last time we talk about it. But, I mean, it's all over CNN even, you know. I mean yeah. – CNN is like – not like it's a, a credible news source it once was at one time, but you know all the news channels are on this 24-7, so we can't help but at least bring it up when we're a podcast about movies, especially in our movie news section. But it is Christmas time, and so we haven't done this in the past. I can't believe we haven't done this in the past. Brian actually brought it up to us uh, off the air. I think we should go around, guys, as a group and just talk about Christmas movies some of our favorite Christmas movies, some of our least favorite Christmas movies. I know our fans love our list episodes. So I guess we could give our top three each Christmas movies. Okay. And just go around and talk about those. First of all, I I guess I could just ask the question, do you like Christmas movies, Brian, in general?
2: In general, no. I I like the highlights of of uh christmas movies like th- there's there's five or six that i think are don't name are any right enjoyable. now we'll save those for the list okay yeah i i, I like five or six of them and does maybe die a Hard more. count i no, but oh. <sighs> not for me They're... but that's that's a different i i consider that one like a christmas adjacent movie okay um one of these days I-, I meant to do i was gonna do it this year but i just never got around to it uh i was gonna write a uh favorite like I've got a favorite Christmas movies list that will I, I just republish every year because it never changes uh one of these years I'm gonna do like a Christmas adjacent movies like movies that have some Christmassy stuff in them or and or like you just want to watch at the holidays for whatever reasons like I usually re-watch the Harry Potter movies around this time of year I don't really know why it's just something that I do. Anyway, there's 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 a few there's a handful of Christmas movies that I really like, um, and then the rest of them are very cheesy to me, and and don't really have a place uh, in my heart or in the cinematic universe. It's it's and I think that's kind of like where our society has gone as far as the industry is concerned with this. Like most Christmas movies are, you don't get a lot of Christmas movies coming out in theaters. It's uh, it's just made for TV movies that come out on the Hallmark Channel or ABC Family or something like that. So it's kind of – a, it's almost like a, uh, an industry of the past in a lot of ways. Like you just don't get a lot of, of those movies anymore. And so maybe that's why I don't find them uh, particularly great as a genre just because there's not been a lot of great examples of late.
1: Yeah, Richard? No, I don't like Christmas movies. I didn't – Christmas movies were not part of – my Christmas experience growing up. So I haven't seen too many of the ones I know of. Like I didn't even know a Christmas story was a thing until I was like seventeen. Never mm-hmm. had heard yeah. of it. Wow. And then I saw it, and by then it was like too. I was too old to enjoy it. It's a Wonderful Life is pretty good, and and these won't be in my list, so um, I'm not spoiling anything. And there's a few here and there that I liked as kids, but I like never. I can't remember the last time I sat down, except for one or two, which I'll talk about later, and like purposefully uh, watched them over the Christmas season. Sure, like you, Brian, there are like seasonal movies that I like. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter's one of those. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's there's a few other kind of wintry movies that I like, but none of them are explicitly Christmas. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I just I just I get really. I, you know, Christmas vacation is a favorite for a lot of people. I don't get it. Um, or any vacation movie for some reason. I think I just have a, a Chevy Chase allergy. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a list right now, and it's just kind of lost on me. I'd never have gotten into that, and I, I don't have anything against it. Just yeah, you know, once you reach a certain point of not, you know, I think a lot of it is the sentimentality or the nostalgia of watching it with your family, and things like that. And we just didn't. My family and I had lovely Christmases, but movies were not were not part of it. We just sure. you know watch Larry Sanders show no <laughs> i'm kidding
0: we didn't,
1: but uh well we didn't we just you know hung out or whatever
0: yeah Kate, what, about what about you, you what are your, are your Christmas yeah. movies? no come? i i did grow up watching christmas movies so mm-hmm. i can say that i i i enjoy them i really try and go out and watch different kinds of christmas movies you know some so people
1: four, watch four this. christmases is your number one right i have seen <laughs> four
0: christmases it is pretty bad uh and it it's not my number one. It's not on the list, unfortunately. Okay. No. Sorry to disappoint you, Richard. Uh I, I do I try to go out and watch different kinds of Christmas movies. I know there's lots of ways to uh you know, a lot of stories to tell, I guess, around the holidays. Uh some people just watch the same two movies a year and call yeah. it a day, you know. I try to watch all the famous ones, so I can say that I've seen a lot of the movies on most of the lists that you'll probably see out there. Uh I like different kinds. I like animated movies, I like action movies i you know i like comedies and so i've seen just about every kind of sure. christmas movie too i'm looking at a list right now and i'm seeing that eyes wide shut is considered a christmas movie
2: okay well nothing whoever, says happy holidays okay. yeah.
1: no my my family and i did used to gather around and watch <laughs> <laughs> i oh okay shut. All, right. all right well um, no we sing that Chris Isaac song from the uh, trailer <laughs> uh, from Eyes Wide Shut. That's like a carol. We go to people door to door. Baby did a bad bad thing. <laughs> Baby did a bad I bad. I remember thing. that. that was a good trailer. Yeah.
0: Very good trailer. Ken, tell
1: the story really quick about when you and I used to go caroling.
0: Oh yeah, so so this is one of the first times Richard and I actually became friends. Honestly, we we had an yeah. idea one year. I think we were, you know, we were sophomores we in were, high school or something. Yeah and we thought it would we thought it was just the funniest idea to carol the day after thanksgiving like literally the first moment possible just full on caroling with like 25 people and we got did it, it together and did it and it was like 95 degrees out um broad daylight mind you <laughs> and we just we we picked the most random christmas songs too that was part yeah, of the yeah uh, like, we did the grinch
1: oh, i wouldn't touch you with uh... a 39 and a half foot pole <laughs> like that <laughs> like, on people's
0: doorsteps it was a great bit but uh, so Richard and I um, have a lot of memories when it comes to when it comes to Christmas so yeah I love Christmas movies so I guess we can give our number three each have y'all you made your personal lists in your mind already or on uh, paper? yeah I'm
2: yeah.
0: good Yep. okay well I'm gonna go with my number three and um, you go out of the way I'll close. It's a Christmas film that involves one of Richard and I's favorite people of all time. Uh, Definitely an O'Malley candidate, if not future American treasure, um, if some kind of renaissance could happen in the next couple years, which it might and has the potential of doing. um, I'm going to name my number three film Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. (laughs) Okay, nice. Uh, As my number three. Uh, I know no- Home Alone is, of course, the original and uh, the favorite, but Home Alone 2 was the one that I that I grew up yeah. on, the sticky bandits.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> the uh, <laughs> uh,
1: Home Alone 2, in my opinion, and Kent and I have had a lot of late-night discussions about this, I actually agree that it is the superior of the two films. Wow. Um, And I just watched Home Alone 1 tonight, actually. But uh, it's, first off, everything in it, everything in Home Alone 2 would murder you. Like In the first one, it's just like, oh, he stepped on a hot wheel. In the second one, it's like he electrocuted him. And then there's an anger to Kevin McAllister in New York that I think is important. And then number two, the, the most important reason that Home Alone 2 is superior, uh, besides, uh, what's his name? Tim Curry, is that there's so much more bandit time. We get a lot of sticky bandits. And the wet yeah. if you watch the first one there's not a whole lot of wet bandits until the final act. So sure. uh yeah, you're right. Those are the those are my big ones. and Rob Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: just, no, to, I just like I just, I just love the bit with the talk boy uh yeah. tape recorder, him going to the Plaza Hotel, the bit with yeah. Tim Curry, you're right, is great and Schneider. I loved Home Alone 2 and, and things and Macaulay Culkin wasn't like too young. Yeah. He was like sort of Like in that where he could still play to the camera and not be like Jake Lloyd, you know, just (laughs) completely unaware, completely unaware that he's bad. Loved Home Alone 2. And of course, I like Home Alone 1, you know, but to me, you're right, Richard, it wins out. It was the sound of a tool chest coming down the stairs. the sound
1: of a tool (laughs) chest.
0: I liked Home Alone 4, you're right. That's where it really peaked. French Stewart just (laughs) really took it over the edge, Uh, the edge of the cliff, actually.
1: Daniel Stern is who you're referring to as potential.
0: Yes, American yes, not treasure. Joe Pesci. Right? No, Joe I Pesci. You Piven, guys, Piven category, Pesci. Go ahead. <laughs> sure. No, I don't know. Pesci might be his own category. Yeah. Um, weird. <laughs> Pesci. American yeah.
1: treasure slash Piven hybrids. Um, <laughs> I yeah, the Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. rip-torn, full (laughs) Pesci. Yeah, we were talking about this yesterday. We were texting about this, and I I, I want to fill the audience in because be prepared to feel really weird about yourself. So uh, I'm 28, Kent is 27, Yes, and Brian is 60. What are you, 60? You just turned 64, 64. right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, Brian's 31, right? Yeah. And so we are all... About the same age, Brian is exactly the same age as Marv during the first Home Alone movie. How old does that make you yeah. guys feel? It's,
2: it's funny because you, you texted us that and I was actually in my neighbor's house robbing them at the time. So it was, a, it was an odd time to get that text.
1: <laughs> Did you turn the faucet on?
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah. Okay, good, good. No, but isn't that weird? Because those guys were like 100 years old when I was yeah. a kid, yeah. both of them. And now I am totally I'm within three years of
0: their age. Uh, but that was that was crazy. As long as I anyway. turn into Brigma, eventually I'm
2: good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Almost forgot my lucky seeds. I just um, <laughs> I just want to become his character from Bushwhacked. Yeah. <laughs> you can only hope. So that was my number three, Richard. What's your number okay. three?
1: My number three is gonna be uh, Love Actually. Oh, nice.
0: I like that movie. It's I like Hugh Grant. I have a weakness
1: for Hugh Grant. Yeah, and Liam Neeson being sweet. There's, yeah, that's not, a very up and down any, movie.
2: any Serbians at all. Yeah, I know. Mean. <laughs> no, there's a deleted scene, if
1: you get the point <laughs> right? Where they're at In the, the concert at the end. <laughs> yes. it's, yeah, they're at the concert at the end, and the girl's singing, and <laughs> the kid's drumming, and then he just ninja stars <laughs> two Serbians, and then he goes to the airport and takes out like two more, but they're like, they're TSA employees. They, they weren't even bad. Uh, but yeah, I'll go love actually. Brian, what's your number three?
2: Number three for me is Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, ah. I watched it uh, two days ago with my kiddo, and uh, he cared about it for about fifteen minutes. So I feel like that was a success. <laughs> no, really, it's it, you can't go wrong with the Muppets. Uh, Michael Caine totally sells out for that role. I mean, he is yeah. he's he's really going for it, which is pretty cool. And I like I like the Christmas Carol, like the story of the Christmas Carol. Uh, Charles Dickens cannot write. He was a terrible writer, but <laughs> yeah, uh, had a great idea for a story. So, uh, so there's that. And a uh, good music. It's it's a it's a joyful little uh, little Christmas movie. And uh, so I'm a big fan. Well, Love actually would be in my top five for sure. That's well. cool. I'm right, gonna go Ken, with my number
0: two. two and um, you actually mentioned it already today. Oh, Richard. Oh, uh, my number two is actually Christmas Vacation. Okay. okay um yeah. I do see a lot of merit uh, in and totally. for- it's to me it's more John Hughes than it is Chevy Chase okay. and why people like it. just yeah. the stuff he thinks of to make fun of we're huge fans of the office and the big thing about the office is like oh everybody knows somebody like Dwight. Everybody knows somebody like Phyllis, you know yeah in, in an office and it's the same thing with Christmas vacation. everybody deals with this crap yearly. Around Christmas, the picking out the tree, the putting up the lights, uh, the wrapping presents, the having the in-laws over. I think they that film really got it right in a lot of areas. And some of those bits are funny. When uh, I, I love the bit of Chevy Chase when <laughs> when he goes and chops down the tree. and he's <laughs> And Rusty says, Dad, that tree wouldn't fit in our yard. And he says, it's not going in our yard, son. It's going in our living room. <laughs> I think that's funny. And I think yep. when he takes the tree home... And he cuts the, cuts the rope and it, and it blows out all his windows and he gets sap stuck to all his hands. And the next scene, he's reading a magazine and pages keep getting stuck to his hand. I thought that was a funny bit. There's several little funny things within that movie. The, when he covers his house and lights with the stapler, and when he gets stuck in his attic, uh, when he's hiding presents and stuff like that. There's several funny parts. The movie itself, don't know if it's great. I don't really ever remember how it ends. I just remember there are several scenes every year that I laugh at when they uh, when they come on. So, Christmas Vacation is my number two. I'm not a huge chase fan. That's really the only movie that I will watch uh, yearly.
1: And you get Johnny Galecki and
0: That's uh, Juliette Lewis. It's true. true. Well, Juliette Lewis is always uh, always a pleasure. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she's she might be a you know, female O'Malley. If she wasn't a Scientologist, she could be a female O'Malley. <laughs> yeah. We do have a Scientologist. She's
0: written enough good songs to – uh. Yeah, she, she really she really has. has. She's like thick. really good. Yeah. No, they rock.
1: I'm the oldest person ever for saying that. They rock, man. They yeah, rock, dude.
0: They're Richard, totally great. Richard, what's your
1: number two? My number two has already been mentioned, so I'll tell a brief anecdote. I once told uh, a British literature professor in college that the only – Good thing Charles Dickens ever did was a Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> so, uh, number two, Muppet Christmas Carol. Wow. And he, he corrected me and said, You mean a Christmas Carol? And I said, No. It's an <laughs> important distinction.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's a Muppet Christmas Carol. And I was Bob. No, I wasn't. I was Tiny Tim wow. or whatever the character's name is in a, my fifth grade play. Russ Pickett beat me out for the role of Bob Cratchit. I'm still in mm. over it.
0: Wow. And the only good it. thing Robert Louis Stevenson ever did. Was Muppet Treasure Island. Was <laughs> you Treasure Island? Nope. Muppet Treasure yep. Island. Uh, see me after class. I should have made a bit of that old class. Yeah. <laughs> Just constantly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. The only good thing uh, Jonathan Swift ever wrote was the Ted Danson miniseries of Gulliver's Travel. Unless
2: <laughs> you're going to go Jack Black
1: there. I know. I was. And then I remember the Ted Danson one. I thought it was
2: funnier. I like the tangent. strong. Yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So
1: Muppet uh, Christmas Carol. It's great.
0: And for all the reasons you said, Brian. Uh, Michael Caine's fantastic. A lot, of, a lot of Muppets love on this countdown. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. Brian, what's your number two?
2: Number two for me is going to be Will Ferrell's Elf. Ooh. watched that also with the kiddo the other day, and he was into that as well. That's a rare movie that I'm not big on. Um, like I won't sit and watch a movie on TV if I own it. Yeah. Very... Very, very rarely will I do that. Like if I just if I want to watch that movie, I will just I'll just put it in the DVD or the Blu-ray and watch it. Elf is one that if I come across it sometime in November or December on TV, and I'll sit and watch it for fifteen or twenty minutes because there's so many little bits that I, I just think are really funny uh, that. Uh, that that get to me. So always little quotes and stuff like that as with most Will Ferrell movies, but, um, this one obviously a little more kid friendly and all that. So it's, uh, it's, I think it's also very interesting that I know a lot of older people as I am 64 years old as we established, but, uh, a lot of, a lot of people like my parents age and, and, and older that hate Will Ferrell. They just don't understand the genius, but they all love elf. So I think that's kind of a funny little bit that they can, uh, we can all come together over uh, the the idea of Elf, I guess. So that's that's number two for me.
1: Especially the animated Jim Parsons version.
0: <laughs> yes, the superior of the two.
1: Yeah, obviously.
0: I wonder how many dozens of offers he gets a year to do an Elf sequel. Oh yeah. I mean, it's got to be every every meeting he has with the that that studio. It's probably like so. Uh, you want to do? It? I bet he never does it. Hopefully, no. It's surprising to even, in hindsight, to look back and saw that he ever did Elf in the first place. I don't think he would do it now. Do you think?
2: Um, I don't know, man. He's he's got an eye for. What's weird is that it's a, the weirdest part about it is it's John Favreau. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. I don't know. He's got an eye for for what's funny, and if I think if he saw a script that he thought was funny, he's he's going to do it. So I don't know. That, I think it could happen today, but regardless, it, I, I don't, I'm with you. I don't think a sequel happens. I'm going to go with my number one
0: here. And uh, it's an animated film. Uh, it comes around once a year. It's got such heart. Uh, it was panned whenever it came out. The studio that made it said, this will never work. We'll just show it and that'll be it. And uh, no one ever see this again. But here we are decades later and it's still... Remains in my heart, and uh, the hearts of millions every holiday season. My number one is Charlie Brown Christmas.
2: Nice. Y'all fans of it. Yes, but it has been many, many years since I've watched uh, any of those Charlie Brown specials. Oh, wow. Yeah, those are a must for me in the holidays. The Great Pumpkin,
0: got to watch that. You got to watch Charlie Brown Christmas. Those are such classics, and I'll go out and say it. We haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. Uh, unfortunately, but there is a, a peanuts movie coming out next fall Mm -hmm. that I, I am really looking forward to seeing, go check out the trailer. It it looks like the old Peanuts series and the Charlie Brown uh, specials, but it's got a sort of a new look to it, sort of a CG 3d look to it. And it looks really cool. The animation does. So looking forward to seeing that. It was produced
1: and written by like Schultz family members.
0: Yeah. Which yeah. is pretty cool. They're extremely protective over over the yeah. characters. Uh unless they get offered um by an insurance corp to <laughs> use their characters and uh put it on the hey. stadium MetLife. Keep getting them checks, Schultz family. Straight cash, homie. But I'm a I'm a huge peanuts, Charlie Brown, Snoopy fan. Like I said, this is just such a classic. And it's really short. I think it's like twenty five minutes or something like that. It's like the it's like an episode of T V, but Makes my heart melt every year. I love it. Love it. And that's my number one Christmas movie of all time. Uh, I would also say The Grinch is pretty high, too. It'll probably be number four if I was sure. to put an honorable mention. I love the, the original Grinch, not the Jim Carrey, Ron Howard Grinch. <laughs> the original Dr. Seuss animated How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Greatness. Uh, you're a mean one. Brian, go ahead. Number
2: one. Number one for me is a movie you guys almost touched on earlier, and this is an, this to me is it's not even kind of close. This is number one holiday movie of all time, and there's I can't believe you guys besmirched it by saying that the sequel is better. The number one holiday movie of all time is Home Alone. Uh, oh. and that, that, that should I, I, I might fight you both for saying that the sequel is. Better. We should have so, a little debate here. <laughs> nothing against the sequel. Nothing against the sequel, but the first movie. Is a the first movie is is one of the best kids' movies ever, let alone a Christmas movie. That's a fantastic film that I rewatch every single year. It's probably the only one on this list that I absolutely rewatch every single year. Like I make a point of sit down, watch it from start to finish. I usually watch it with friends. That's a classic, classic movie. And and you guys are right. Like the the Annie is definitely upped in uh in the second one but I think that's what makes the first one better like it's it almost felt like this could actually happen when you were that movie came out in 1989 so I was 6 it almost felt like I could pull that off if I was home alone and two and two uh, robbers came to the door. Like I could maybe bait them with my micro machines and uh, a, a uh, an iron and a nail sticking out of tar, things like that. The second one is just insane, and it gets and it's fine, nothing against it. Again, but the first one, the reality of the first one, and I, I say that at least a little tongue in cheek, makes it uh, the the superior film in my opinion.
0: I might have to argue with a little bit on that okay. one. All
2: right. What's your cons against two? I don't know. Well, For whatever reason, the first one was a, is a movie that, as a six-year-old, really stuck in my brain and was a big part of my... I mean, that was one of my probably three or four favorite movies, regardless of of uh, holiday, of Christmas or not, uh, growing up. I loved that movie, and it's... I don't know. I, I revisit it every year. I, I very rarely have revisited the second one. I've probably seen it once in the last i don't know 10 years or something it's just not it's just not a classic to me i'm surprised it and maybe i'm wrong but i'm very surprised that you guys feel that way that so strongly about the second one but maybe it's the the age difference thing cuz that when did the second one come out like 92 something like that yeah i think so, so I th- maybe that's what it is cuz you guys were you guys were yeah 92 so you guys were basically the age that I was when the first one came out, so maybe that's just maybe that's the whole thing that it just st- that one sticks in you sticks with y'all more than uh, the original one does.
1: I'm gonna argue with you because Home Alone one was my favorite, and then I fell in love with Home Alone two with Kent while in high school because we realized okay. how right. violent and awesome it is. Sure, it's like if Tarantino made his version of Home Alone, <laughs> it, it would be Home Alone two. <laughs> Is watch it again. If you haven't seen it in 10 years, watch it again and just focus only on how violent it is all and right. horrible. And uh, it's fantastic. But no, I, I, I'm with you uh, on the whole.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can't argue. It's a great film, Brian, like I mentioned earlier. It's just for some reason, just like I said in our top uh, 10 movies of all time episode, which I'll go ahead and recommend and tease right now. I like Toy Story 2 more than Toy Story. Just personally, I love Toy Story, but I like Toy Story two more. This is the same thing with Home Alone to mm-hmm. me. I like both. It's just there's something about the second one that edges me out, edges it out uh, for me personally. Yeah. So, Richard, what's your number one Christmas movie of all time?
1: Mine number one. we talked about it a little bit uh, in some context, but not fully. Mine has to be Muppet Bad Santa. Oh, <laughs> number one.
0: <laughs> one more: Fozzie Bear is a coke addict, and he <laughs> yes. his. yeah classic Christmas
1: classic animals and angry dwarf (laughs) and they robbed department but uh, I'm going to go with just the Home Alone 1 and 2 was what I was going to say anyway so that whole 4 hour you know it's fitting we're doing Lord of the Rings but that entire 4 hour franchise is my favorite Christmas movie the only ones uh, both Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 that I make sure I watch every year it's the only Christmas movie experience that I I really have so uh, I I love those movies so much and uh, Harry and Marv may they live on forever Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs>
2: How many times do you think they had to cut that scene? Like no, Ma- look, Joe, you can't cuss. It's a PG movie. Well,
1: apparently that's why they start. they had him do it because he kept just f-bombing, so they I've read that they had him just say so that he could uh he could get by it. Yeah.
2: That's funny.
0: So, so funny. It's it's funny because I saw Home Alone, of course, as a, as a young child, but, you know, growing up and seeing a movie like Goodfellas and then going back and watching Home Alone and be like, oh, okay, I know what Pesci's doing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Without further ado, guys, let's move on. Let's talk The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies.
2: You have but one question to answer. How shall this day end?
0: I think it will be most appropriate to start off and let Brian Gill kick this thing off. <laughs> General thoughts, Brian. I guess just fill the new listeners in on if, if they sure. don't know your your previous Hobbit thoughts, just your history with the the series, the books, everything.
2: Sure. So The Hobbit is my favorite book of all time. I, I didn't reread it this time going into this movie. I haven't had time. But uh, I think I reread it before each of the previous two entries – I don't reread books just a whole lot, so that's fairly rare for me, but I've probably read The Hobbit, I would guess, somewhere between a dozen and 20 times. I just, I, I love it. Uh, is, that, my, uh,
1: is that more or less than the times you've read the taboo biography? I got you.
2: <laughs> I don't ever read the whole thing in one sitting, I just go to my, my favorite selected passages. <laughs> That's okay. taboo
0: from Black Eyed Peas, right? Not yeah. tattoo the uh, no. former <laughs> Dallas Sidekicks indoor soccer player, player coach. No,
2: but I, no. I would read that biography. as Yes, well if, I'd much uh, rather read that one more yes, than taboos. Yes. Okay. Much more interesting for sure. No, I, re- I I've reread that book a, a ton of times. I was raised on it. My my dad is a. Just a big nerd, and uh, was really into Tolkien and science fiction and all that sort of stuff. So I have him to thank for, <laughs> or curse one way or the other for the the, the sorts of uh, ridiculous stuff that I that I enjoy on that front. Um, so I, I've reread it tons of times. I listened to the BBC play radio play. I don't know. I mean, hundreds would probably be an understatement um, or an underestimate. It, it's my favorite. Thing of all time. I love the Lord of the Rings movies. If you listen to our our uh, 100th episode when we did our top 10 movies of all time, I think it was that series was like my number four movie, perhaps. Uh, and I kind of group it all together into one big movie. I, I love this franchise and um, have had ups and downs with this particular branch of the franchise uh, over the last couple years. So yeah. I, I did go back and rewatch the the, the first two. This week, going before I went into uh, the third installment, and you know, I I really really like the first one. I like it more now than I did when I first saw it. it. It's grown on me, and the parts that are really good are really 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 good. And and I think it it has more in common with the Lord of the Rings franchise than either of these other two entries do. And it absolutely is tighter to the book. Than uh than the following two entries do are so, and I think it's the strongest one. So maybe that should have been more of a guide, Peter Jackson. But I, I think the first one is is a very good movie. I think it was in my top ten that year, and I I feel pretty confident on that. The second one had some ups and downs, and and I was I was still uh, I was able to to handle those the, the downs a little better um, on this second and third viewing. I, I probably I haven't watched it near as many times as I have. Uh, the first one, or the or the Lord of the Rings movies, um, but but it it does frustrate me, and, and there, there are issues with it that should have been easy to sort out, and that's that's a problem to me. And this one is kind of more of the same, unfortunately for me. Just just general thoughts. I uh, it's closer to the Desolation of Smaug than it is to uh, I don't even remember what the first one was called anymore. Uh,
0: unexpected Journey, an Unexpected yes. Journey,
2: Hobbit proper. I wish that it was closer to that. And there are moments of, of I think really good stuff that, that get closer to that film and to the, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, but overall there's just, there's a lot of stuff that uh, I just wish <sighs> I'm disappointed that Peter Jackson couldn't figure out a way to make it work because it, to me, it shouldn't have been that difficult to do.
0: Yeah. Richard, uh, you're somebody last year that sort of came around on this whole thing uh, mm-hmm. It's well noted and established on the show that you hate the woods. Mm-hmm. So, and this includes, of course, a lot of the woods, especially the previous trilogy with the Ents. A lot of wood, woodage going on there. So, were you a fan of this one as much as you were of the Desolation?
1: Yeah, no, I. They seem like you're right, Brian. And the the first one definitely stands apart from the latter two. I don't know if for better or for worse, really, because I'm not qualified to make that decision so much. Is is that? But these these last two smog and, and this one definitely feel like part one and two of a movie in a weird way. They they just mm-hmm. look similar, and it might have just been honestly my eyes adjusting to the way they're shot. Uh, The first one was so new and weird, but I, yeah, I liked it fine. I mean, like I, I can only enjoy these to a certain level and I I like them a lot, but it just doesn't have like any, I never really get emotionally involved. They're more, I watch them technically and I watch them kind of for story, but I don't uh, get swept up onto it because I'm always afraid like the trees are going to come to life in the woods. (laughs) It's just, uh, so it's, it's hard for me to do, but I do, I, I have enjoyed these and I, I, I've come around later in life to like uh, Lord of the Rings, um, as people have have, I literally watched Lord of the Rings because I lost a bet to watch all three, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. It was they're great, they're great, and, and Peter Jackson's incredible. And I think uh, these books definitely need to be put on the film, and they lend themselves so well, and the, and the, the epic nature of it is fantastic. Uh, but this one just was a, it, like like the last one on the whole for me. It's a little hollow uh, emotionally. It just kind of is a lot of a lot. Uh, But I I was very entertained. I was I was very entertained.
0: Uh, I as well, like Brian, I'm a huge fan. The Lord of the Ring films came out, you know, in 2001 was the first one, maybe. Yeah, Fellowship Um, of the Ring. uh, Yep. So I, you know, I sort of started with those movies, and just I got all my Tolkien from that. I guess Uh, really only read The Hobbit before that. Didn't ever read the Lord of the Rings books. Uh, Was waiting for The Hobbit to come out. And uh, it finally did. And, you know, it, it, like we like we've said, it's well noted that it's stretched out. But I got to say, I really enjoy these films a lot. I'm so sad to see this be the end. I, I really am. And it, it was bittersweet when those credits rolled at the end. You know, it's, wow, this has been a journey. You know, <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it's, it's an incredible thing what Peter Jackson has done here. I don't care how I know Hollywood hates him and like, just stop already with this crazy, the way you shoot movies and all this overbloated, you know, we, we get it already. You know, I understand that that's the mentality, but just the scale of these movies and just the, the time and effort that he's put in to bringing these stories to life is just, it's remarkable. And, uh, it's not like Harry Potter. I mean, he did all these movies, you know? Yeah. Uh, and envisioned all them, wrote the scripts in them, and, you know, was there for every step of the way. And it's thousands of days and, you know, I can't even imagine the hours and, in, in you know, outside of the time he spent even on set, you know, working on these films over the past 20 years. So truly amazing and very sad to see this uh, be the end. Uh, I think it's the end. Uh, is there any <laughs> Samarillian's going to bring that Thank to God, screen? Yeah, yeah. He may. I. I wouldn't be opposed to it actually at this point, but I. I, I agree. I think unexpected journey, when it's all said and done, is going to be the, the one that people we look back on and and say that was the best of the three. I just think, and I said at the time, in that episode, that the sequence where they're all the, I guess the fellowship is meeting for the first time in uh in Bilbo's house and they're coming over for dinner. I just think that's such a classic sequence. And I think if if they were to show a montage of the Oscars in 20 years and they show 5 seconds from all these different famous movies and you showed 5 seconds from that, everyone would know, "Oh, that's yeah. that great scene in the Hobbit where they're all stumbling in and eating and destroying his house." It's such a great way to introduce the characters. I said it then. I think some of the Gollum stuff in that movie is yes. the best ever. I mean yeah, the, the this, Riddles
2: in the Dark scene, yes. uh, is is spectacular. Really really an incredible incredible piece of filmmaking. Yeah.
0: I did like Desolation last year. Um I thought there was it was a little underwhelming considering the title of the film and uh mm-hmm. and this this movie um Battle of the Five Armies started exactly like I wanted it to. I will say that. I didn't watch Desolation again. Uh, before seeing Battle of the Five Armies. So how did it feel to you, Brian, it, from going straight to Desolation, straight into Battle of the uh-huh. Five Armies? Did it feel consistent? Did it feel like it flowed well?
2: Oh yeah, it could have been. I mean, that really could have been one scene to the next. If it if it wasn't, uh, you know, if there wasn't a year break in between the two movies, yeah. it uh, yeah. uh, it really was one scene into the next. And and that's you know that's how it should have been. That's 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 fine. It, it worked pretty well in that sequence. I think my biggest argument or my biggest issue, rather, with this this series is, and I and I will admit, I when they announced that they were going to stretch this into three films, I was stoked because I love this franchise. I love this world. I was just thinking man i'm I'm excited to be able to spend three three years in a row um within this universe rather than two uh, three is too much it's not it did not need to yeah. be three there's so much that could have been cut in this I think the first movie almost stands up as far as everything that's in there is there for a reason and it works pretty well and uh you don't re- you really wouldn't need to cut much't know that movie.
0: The, i ju- I just personally think the whole wide orc thing just needs to Uh, needs to go
2: i agree with you but the way that they if peter jackson was going to tie it in the way that he did i think i did not like that part that aspect of the film when we first watched it having now seen the entire trilogy kind of put together i don't know that it necessarily needed to be there maybe we could have gone a different direction but i'm not going to argue that it if you're going to structure this film kind of the same way and break if you broke it into two movies but had similar structure i think it worked pretty well there's a pretty decent payoff for it in this in this movie the battle of the five armies i felt like as a whole you know that's not part of the book and i don't think it necessarily needs to be part of the movie but if you're going to include that in there i felt like they did it i thought i i felt like jackson did a pretty decent job of paying it off which i wasn't sure was going to happen when we first saw that that first movie Um, but regardless, there's, there is plenty within the second and third movie that could be cut out completely. And it would not, not only would the movie not be missing anything, it would be better. They would all be better for it. The, the weird love story between Evangeline Lilly and, uh, and Keely, the, the dwarf completely ridiculous and, and doesn't bring anything to the movie. doesn't need to happen, um, I don't know how many scenes within this one, especially, but even in the, the desolation of smog, like an Alfred character, the guy who is the lackey within the, the lake town and all that. Yeah. He's completely yeah. worthless. There's no yeah. point in having him on the screen ever. And, and he just, just a total MacGuffin. Um, so I, that all of this could have, if we could have trimmed this down to two movies and say they're two, even if it's two, like three hour movies, um, I think, all of us, I think. I think everybody feels a little bit better about this this entire
0: process. Okay, Brian. Big likes. Anything you really enjoyed about the Battle of the Five Armies?
2: Yeah, I thought the I thought the battle sequence at the end, which which takes about an hour, was really good, um, and that I liked the the weight of that segment. Uh, the CGI was uh, it, at least felt like the. Possibly used a little bit more practical effects than they had in the earlier uh, couple of films, so that was a, that was nice. Uh, I thought it was a, a solid payoff for the kind of the the war between Thorin and and Azog. That was that made it that whole storyline kind of work a little better than it had up to that point. I like that Jackson gave uh, Martin Freeman an opportunity to act a little bit and and for that character to. I just have some really solid moments in this because I think think the character of Bilbo Baggins kind of got lost a little bit in the second film. Mm -hmm. And whereas I'm not always thrilled with the way that Jackson approaches this book within this this trilogy, I'm always very impressed with the respect that he gives to the character of Bilbo and the way that he – I don't know. He just seems like – pretty much the the best of all these movies uh comes down to a, an opportunity for Martin Freeman to kind of do his thing which which is great cuz that's a really it's a good character uh literary and cinematically and and Martin Freeman's awesome so i dug all that you know there's there's other moments that were that were ranged between good and and very good it it just uh you know it just kind of gets lost amongst amongst all the crazy cgi and elongated storylines and stuff like that
0: yeah i'm surprised to hear you say that this one felt more weighty than the others uh which 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 format did did we see this in let's talk about that a little bit because this of course is well known to uh, vary by format i think there's like five different versions that you could see or something Mm
2: -hmm. like that i didn't i did not see high frame rate i just saw a standard standard theater experience sort of sort of standard definition. I mean, standard or non 3d, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No 3d. No. Okay. So that, that may have helped. And and by no means to, to be clear, by no means does this measure up to the original Lord of the Rings trilogy in terms of, uh, the effects and the practical effects and the weightiness of the material and all that sort of stuff. I just mean compared to, especially like the first film, like when they're fighting the goblins in, uh, inside the mountain, in the first film, yep. that felt like a cartoon. And yeah, at least yeah. this, the Goblin King, this time yeah. around. Yes, yeah. This time around, it's definitely CGI, but at least, especially in the the, the later stages when um, Thorin and, and it's just like three or four dwarves against a, a few uh, orcs, you know, that especially, it at least had the feel of a practical effect rather than totals just cgi explosion and whatnot um to me and 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 definitely still a far cry from the higher the better moments of lord of the rings trilogy but but better to me than uh some of the earlier battle sequences in the first two movies
0: yeah i was gonna say it didn't feel at all to me as weighty as the originals so i was gonna counter that argument if you if you thought that no no
2: definitely not and and yeah, there. No, not not even really close. Because I think that's a hallmark of that. Original I always wonder, is.
0: and I know you know Peter Jackson knows how to make these movies. He's made all of them, but in order, I mean, technology has gotten. I'm I'm assuming exponentially better since 2005, when mm-hmm. The Return of the King came out. Why did these movies look so much worse than those? You know, when the technology yeah, is that much better, question. that's always a contradiction. I think Gollum is done very well in this trilogy. Gollum yeah. looks like a real person now. Um, I think they mm-hmm. really put a lot of good time and effort into Gollum. I understand they, uh, the riddles in the dark sequence, they filmed like on the first day of mm. production for the for um, an unexpected journey, so that they could spend the entirety of the rest of the time animating it and making it look like it should which they did and and you know great effort by them but that's just something that bugged me it's like well this is a decade later shouldn't it look better than the (laughs) originals but it it, same with star wars too i mean i we know why star wars looked the way it did because it was just there was not like one real prop used in the the whole movie um but (laughs) this I mean, it looks it looks great, and these stories work. But from a production standpoint and a design standpoint, I don't think they match up to the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't like what they did with the orcs at all in the Hobbit. I yeah, I'm I just it's, they feel too different, and they don't don't mm. feel as scary really <laughs> as the yeah. uh, as the other ones did. So no, I, I, t- I don't I like totally that direction. Agree. Yeah. Richard, any I'm big uh, Richard, any big likes here? Uh, you know, with these kind of things, just
1: the the overall narrative. I, I like the story, and that goes along with the book. I think more than the movie. But uh, on the technology front, you know, I don't know if it's more of a technology issue, or that the technology's gotten almost too good, and it's too uh, CGI'd, or if it's more of a just like the like you said, Kent, the aesthetic design is just
0: yeah
1: bad. I wonder if the, with the orcs, if they're like, uh, such a stupid sentence to say out loud. I wonder if with <laughs> the orcs, the reason they're kind of less scary is because the Hobbit is more of a children's property than one of the... I don't know. Uh, sure. But you Maybe. can definitely tell the difference. I, I you're, you're absolutely right there. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, they, the the Azog the Defiler, or the White Orc, um, was a real... is a practical character, a costumed character at first. And you can go online and Google the original costume for it. And it's pretty terrifying. And they made it a CGI character. And it's not not as scary as it could have or should have been. So, yeah, I didn't like the direction they went with the orcs at all. Um, but stuff I did like. I really liked the smog sequence at the beginning. Uh, I, <laughs> I was wondering where they were going to go with that. I mean, I saw this in high frame rate 3D. It's just such a different experience to see. I don't know if you guys saw either of the first two in HFR but I saw I, an, I saw Unexpected Journey in it, and was yeah. really turned yeah, off too. by it. Really didn't like it at all. And um,
1: that's something I wanted to talk about. Ken. Ended up I seeing
0: liked it better. Okay, well, I ended up seeing Unexpected Journey in IMAX for the first the first showing, and then HFR, and then a standard 3D after that. And I, I really think IMAX was my favorite of the three. Mm. Uh, but what. What were you? What What did you? You said you did like
1: it, Richard. Uh, it's just an interesting conversation thing because I saw the the first. I don't. I'm going to be ignorant here. I saw the first one in uh, HFR and was really kind of put off by the look of it. I saw this one as well in, in 3D with that as well, but it didn't bother me as much. And I wonder if the technology. Oh, it was better.
0: It was better. This or my eyes film, got used to it. But or I, what? I yeah. still, I just couldn't. I just couldn't pinpoint it. It's like. It gives it that soap opera y look. You know, like there's yeah. certain Samsung televisions you can buy now that have like a true motion uh setting in which it eliminates motion blur. And motion blur is used by filmmakers like as an effect, really. Yeah. And it what's it's what gives movies a movie type look. It it's so uh it's so in the background and so in, seeped in your subconscious that you don't really ever notice it until it's not there. And you're like, why doesn't this look the same? Why doesn't this look like a movie? Well, that's that's one of the main reasons. And uh, adding doubling the amount of frames in the <laughs> in the movie, you eliminate a lot of that motion blur that you would get blurry Absolutely. blur between frames. Uh, so it's it's very off putting in in my opinion. Uh, it does add a different element. I will say it's a different experience, but I don't know if it adds anything to to the the movie or the cgi or anything if if mm. anything to me it makes it look worse the cgi uh just because you it's hard to get the weight in you know guys flying around and everything and yeah and in high high frame rate it may it just makes it look even more unnatural so yeah it was turned off i was turned off by that but i digress i really did like the smog sequence so when smog flies over lake town at the beginning and just torches it I literally like fist pumped. I was like, yeah. Cuz that's exactly how I wanted this movie to start uh with the desolation and I really enjoyed how I portrayed that and of course the death of Smog. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Smog doesn't make it through the the end of the movie. Yeah. But the way that he goes uh I loved it and very heroic moment. But not enough not enough Fellowship of the Ring or not enough dwarves in this movie, I don't think. You know, it really followed a different group of people, uh, yeah. Thorin, in uh, yeah. his quest to, to reclaim Erebor. Uh, it's fine. It was great. But I really missed those quirky dwarves from the first uh, couple films. It, this, this movie was missing a lot of the comic relief of the first two, which I understand. This is the third the conclusion, the battle. But uh, mm-hmm. I missed that a little bit. And I also figured out – I can't stand all of the Galadriel stuff. I understand why it's there, but there's a scene in the middle yeah. of here with Galadriel oh. and Gandalf that just drags, and it really brings I was the movie really,
2: down. Yeah, I was very disappointed by that because when they when – we, when we found out they were going to go to two movies and three movies, that, that was one of the, the things that I was most excited about because – all the stuff with the necromancer is only alluded to in, yeah. in the novel. And I was really expecting something uh, exciting and cool in that moment. And they built it up. I felt like the buildup was pretty, pretty good, especially in the first movie. The payoff was so weak. Uh, just – maybe spend a little more time there instead of having Evangeline Lily want to make out with the dwarf. Like yeah. that's an odd, it was a very odd choice on Jackson's part that like that feel that felt like almost an afterthought, which very strange to me that that could have been, that could have been half a movie unto itself if, if he would have gone that direction. And I think probably would have been better off that way.
0: I agree. And there, there's, there's a lot to like here and it's something that, You you just have to look back and, or you just have to sit back and realize that this is the third, this is the conclusion of one story, not a story of its own. Mm -hmm. Um, It's I really felt bad for anyone who didn't come into this with any prior knowledge of the first two films, or at least this storyline. You know, there's there's some movies that you know, even over the past few years, Hunger Games, for example, you could go in and enjoy a Hunger Games movie, never have seen the first two. Uh, I don't know if you could do that with a Hobbit. Uh, it, it, no. it's it's very entertaining from an effects uh, spectacle standpoint, but story you just can't follow it. There's so much language. There's so many characters. There's so many locations yeah. to keep track of. Um, but I I I want to go on a, a little tangent here and ask you guys, Brian, do you like the Lord of the Rings storyline or the Hobbit storyline more?
2: That's a good question because there are two different things. The Hobbit is, is basically a kid's book or at least a a young adult book. And, and Lord of the Rings is a much more expansive and immersive, uh, story. The Hobbit is my, again, is my favorite book of all time. So I guess on some level that would have to be my, my preference, but I, I absolutely cannot deny that the, that just from a, a quality standpoint and a, uh a grown-up standpoint the story in lord of the rings is much better than the one within the hobbit yeah. and and i think you know i would think that tolkien himself would would say that because you know you can't you can't create a story in 250 pages the way that you can uh in 1000 with all these zigzags and different um sections within middle earth you know all that sort of stuff like it's a, it's almost a completely different ball game i guess
0: yeah, no, I I agree. I was just wondering your personal preference, Richard. Yeah, yeah. Richard, do you 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 went back and watched Lord of the Rings, so you weren't didn't grow up with it or anything. But what do you like from just the story, the plot itself, better, The Hobbit or this uh, the the past trilogy?
1: Uh, I would say I like the Lord of the Rings trilogy more. For me, it's less story, more uh, more characters. While Bil- Bilbo and uh, Sam are insufferable, the, there's Frodo. a lot more. Char- Sorry, pardon me. Frodo, Frodo and Sam.
0: Yeah, how dare yeah.
1: you? Yeah, Frodo. And- <laughs> I know that was a terrible mistake. Frodo and Sam are insufferable, but uh, but the you know Gimli and Aragon and uh, yep. Legolas are pretty awesome. So mm-hmm. I like those more. This has Bilbo, which is great, but it kind of I don't know lacks the other characters. Even though they do the same characters make appearances, it's just kind of. I don't know. It doesn't have as many characters I like as Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, I really love the Hobbit storyline, and I I really can't decide. I mean, I like them both for different reasons. Um, I'm just wondering if the Hobbit had been made before the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, if he was in this trilogy first, which one we would like better, you know? That's true. Yeah, That's, That's my big question. That's why I asked, because... Uh, from a story standpoint, I really like what they did here. I love Jackson's interpretation of Erebor, the the mountain. Sure. I just love that setting. Any scene in there, I was all about, especially in the second film with smog and, of course, um, Bilbo and the gold and everything. Just so well done. I wanted to be Peter Jackson when he walked in and saw the concept drawings for that the first time. He was probably like, oh, yep, that's the one. You know, <laughs> It's just such a great imagining of this narrative. And uh they need to make a theme park of that place. I mean, honestly, would you yeah. not go to Middle Earth theme park? Oh totally. You know, <laughs> like it needs to happen. Yeah. But let's get um let's get right in here uh towards the end of the movie. I guess we should go spoilers right now for the Battle of the Five Armies. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop this episode and uh catch up with us later. So here we go. What did you guys think of Orlando Bloom in this movie? Uh, has, was it a wax figurine of him or was that really, was that really him? He just looks so, does he not fit in the character anymore or something? Like, Like, did his, is he cross-eyed now or something? There was something very (laughs) weird about his appearance in this movie and I couldn't quite pinpoint it.
2: I don't know, man. He's just not a very good actor. I, I, I think this is his best role. Uh, but even still, he just, he just doesn't. I don't know. He just doesn't do anything for me. And I would assume it's (laughs) free. Just seeing, seeing him in this movie,
0: just we really did. Like, I was like, okay, no, just, just stop. We've done this. Uh, it's good to see you again, but no, just, he he should have had a cameo. He should have not had any sort of impact on this movie. Mm. There's a scene where he's, it really, it's really kind of cool, but the execution is pretty poor. When the, he's running across a stone bridge and it starts collapsing, and he's shooting oh, <laughs> shooting a worst. bow as he's running up falling bricks uh I was yeah. just that that was just too much for me personally. that was terrible um,
2: yeah. I can guarantee that will be the topic at uh at a dinner conversation at my family Christmas this week i guarantee that. Is that my scene dad. alone <laughs> yeah my dad will not be happy with that,
0: <laughs> oh, he won't oh. No, It's similar to the scene in The Lord of the Rings where he uses the shield as like a surfboard or a skateboard yes. yeah, and skates down yeah, that's the still stairs. still being talked
2: about at family <laughs> events, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: what, Tolkien wouldn't have liked uh, skateboarding in The no, Lord of the Rings? No, right?
2: not – uh, my family, it's 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 fair to say my family is not a fan of Ninja Elves, so. <laughs> well,
0: that sucks because my family—that's all we talk about—are Ninja Elves. <laughs> <laughs> to each his own, I guess. Um, yeah, let's get into this third act. Uh, the battle was was really cool. Uh, I wish it would have been. It just didn't feel like it was up to the scale nearly of of the first trilogy, even. Even no, no. the battle. Uh, it's its really hard to... I think the, the battle in uh, the Two Towers and the Return of the King is some of the best... It's probably the best battle scenes ever in, in, a, in a movie as far as scale and just... I mean, the amount of extras that took was just... All costumed extras, by the way. All looking like orcs and stuff, you know. It was... Uh, they actually put a lot into that first trilogy. This looked... It was fun. It was very entertaining, but it just wasn't up to the par uh, that I... I had anticipated when you renamed the movie "The Battle of the Five Armies." I thought it would be more, maybe Richard, you're right with the fact that this is more of a kid's book, more violent. I thought, I thought it would be more of a war than it was a battle. If that makes sense. Uh, so, what did you? You said you liked it, Brian. The um, the battle.
2: Yeah, I thought it was fine. You're, right. I mean, it does not measure up to. Uh you know, anything for as far yeah. as battle sequences from two towers or return to the King. So, and, and maybe on some level, it's not even fair to kind of put it in that, that category. Mm-hmm. Cause you're right. Those are some of the best, uh, sword and shield sorts of battle sequences in, in the movies ever. So, uh, no, it doesn't measure up to that, but I did think it was, I, I enjoyed it. It didn't, uh, it didn't drag, you know, it which is yeah. tough given that it, it lasted for an hour pretty much. Um, and you know it there were enough i thought i thought it was fairly well paced with within that hour that you're you're dealing with it and it didn't get to a point where like we keep we've referenced the end of iron man 3 about a dozen times on this podcast but how just insane and bombastic and out of place even that that ending to iron man 3 is and it just feels like that's only i don't know it's probably 25 minutes long and it feels like Four and a half hours because it's just like so much on your eyes. Uh, I didn't think that it went to that place in spite of being uh, kind of the culminating event for the last from the last three movies.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I had the same thoughts, uh, Richard. You you're a third act critic, so what did you think of this final act of this last movie of the trilogy? You
1: know the the third Horn of the Rings movie is my favorite probably of the three. Yeah. Um, because of because of the battle scenes, Two Towers 2 was pretty awesome. Um, so this was I was really excited for this one because I I've read The Hobbit, but I you know I don't really place it well in my memory because I have far more important things to think about, like uh, you know, two thousand and six Portland Trailblazers. But uh, <laughs> but I, so I didn't really know what to expect from a battle. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Like it doesn't live up to Return of the King at all. But I it seemed faithful for what i could remember and and uh and it was definitely an audience pleaser and was very cool looking i thought yeah i definitely lacked the scope of of return of the king or something like that but you know it, the story is what it is you can't really change too much of it there were some silly parts certainly that bloom part that kind of action hero-y stuff that they kind of mixed in there is always funny to me because they're tiny hobbits so when they like dive out <laughs> of the way of in slow motion, like, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Willis or something, I always kind of tickles <laughs> me. But uh, but yeah, on the whole, I, I thought the final, well, it's fine. I, hey, I stayed through it. Credits, I saw credits on this bad
0: boy. Wow. That was an accomplishment. Amazing. Right there. That's. And that it, is I didn't amazing. think
1: they were coming 16 different times like I did in Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it happens. That's true. So let's talk about this ending. The way that this movie ends. Is interesting and I thought it could have ended several different ways and Jackson picked maybe the most obvious way I think that you could end it I don't know how you guys personally felt in my opinion it should have ended like uh Martin Freeman's Bilbo goes back to the Shire I guess all his stuff is pawned off whatever that 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 stuff was all fine he goes into his house sticks his hand in his pocket sees he has the ring the movie's over that's what I thought it should have been. And then it, it said it flashes forward to old Bilbo, reminiscent of, of course, The Fellowship of the Ring. And it basically plays prequel to the first uh, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. film, which I found yeah. really interesting choice. But I, like I said, the most obvious way to end a movie is end it the way you started the first one. I mean, it's been done in several sequels, and, uh, and that's fine. And that's very basic storytelling but I thought it should have ended with Martin Freeman as Bilbo. I don't think, I didn't think it should have gone back to the old Bilbo, but I love the way it, if you're going to bring him back, they did it. They did it the way they should. Uh, Gandalf knocks at the door. They have the same conversation they have in the fellowship of the ring. The camera zooms in on the map of middle earth, mm-hmm. which is wh- exactly where the uh, fellowship of the ring starts with the map of middle earth. So full right. circle here. Really cool choice. What did you think of the end, Brian,
2: yeah, you're right. Kent. It would have been nice if they just kind of stopped with uh, with Bilbo realizing that or, or rediscovering the ring in his pocket, something like that. But I think we all kind of expected, given how many times this this uh, prequel and the sequels and all that sort of stuff have kind of backed up against each other, I think we all pretty much knew or expected anyway how it was going to end. So I wasn't surprised, and it was fine. It's you know I have no no complaints about it. But uh, you're right; your ending would have been. Uh, interesting if not better as well so yeah i think it would have left more
0: desire to see more from this story the fact that bilbo realizes he has the ring but you don't know what happens between then and what what happens when you see him in fellowship of the ring like he could have gone all these more adventures with the with the ring you know what i mean so now you sure. know that he comes out of that all unscathed at the end like they skip forward basically 70 years <laughs> here mm-hmm. uh and he's fine he's had the ring the whole time he's fine uh but that's that's just my opinion richard did, what did you think of the end did it satisfy you
1: yeah yeah no i liked it a lot i actually really liked the circular nature of it so yeah, yeah we'll go on too much it was really it,
0: yeah. it was really cool to see the shire again i love mm-hmm. the scenes in the house yeah uh, in bilbo's house. house i love that and it makes me sick to know that peter jackson has the house in his house like he converted his <laughs> whole basement, like literally had them move the set to his basement. And Elijah Wood said like he goes and sleeps over at Peter Jackson's house and stays in a literal Hobbit house when he's there. Like <laughs> furniture and all, like the exact same house uh, is is of uh in Peter Jackson's house. So pretty cool if we ever get invited over yep. to Peter Jackson's which he is a,
1: he is a fan and listener of he the is podcast. A,
0: he is a listener. What up, Pete? Yep. I like to call him Pete. Shout out to Pete,
2: uh,
0: yeah. PJ, <laughs> yeah. PJ, Poppy Jack, Poppy <laughs> Jack. Um, so let's go ahead and give grades for the Battle of the Five Armies, guys. I'm going to give this a a minus. I still think Unexpected Journey is my favorite of the three. I would probably give Desolation an A minus as well. I'd probably give Unexpected Journey a. I'd probably give Unexpected Journey an A, solid A. I don't think there's any a pluses in this trilogy. Mm. Unexpected Journey is the closest thing, and with more time, maybe I'll I'll swing my ways on that one. Uh, but so this one gets an A minus for me. Really satisfying ending, good uh, good time. And like I said, I'm gonna miss these characters a lot. I'm gonna miss this world. I'm gonna mm. miss Peter Jackson doing this stuff. But I'm lo- really looking forward to what he does. In the future, now that he's completely washed his hands of all Tolkien properties, hopefully. He's doing I mean, a
1: King Kong prequel, sure. I heard.
0: There you go. You know, I, Andy Serkis <laughs> really part. is doing, a, doing a, a Kong movie. Skull Island, it's yeah. called, or something? So Skull Island, yeah. We'll see. Uh, Brian, what do you think of, uh, what are you going to grade this one as?
2: This one comes in right in the middle for me as far as this trilogy goes. Uh, the Unexpected Journey is, is an A, is a solid A for me as well. The Desolation of Smaug is somewhere between a B and a B minus. And this one's going to be B to B plus kind of range. Cool. Richard.
1: B plus for me as well. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the series, but a lot of woods. So that's a one point deduction to a B. B I'm going to go B plus.
0: <laughs> I might have said B minus. I meant to say B plus. One more thing we should talk about before we completely move on from this uh, franchise the Lord of the Rings made a lot of money and got a lot of critical recognition mm-hmm. as far as award season goes. This one really hasn't gotten any whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, why is that?
2: It's a lot of reasons. I think I think the industry is tired of this this franchise, this universe. Uh, I think it, it they set themselves up for failure with by by stretching it into three movies because it just created some negativity right out of the gate. Um, and that that doesn't help. And, and, you know, as we've kind of touched on over and over again in the three podcasts we've done about this series, this is just not as good as the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. So yeah. that, uh, that certainly doesn't help the cause when you're not making a uh, a great movie. If you're just making an okay, a, a, an okay movie or a good movie or a decent movie, which I think that's what these three movies are. Yeah, that's a pretty – pretty blunt
0: answer and i think i have to agree with you it's just not as good mm. i mean it's made a lot of money i mean this i think yeah. i think uh it was 700 million for all three to make all three or something maybe a little bit less than that and they made a billion on the first two in the box office so literally everything on this movie is pure profit for them which is
1: sure.
0: uh disgusting to think about but richard mm. why do you think that these haven't gotten the recognition that the first ones did
1: you know, they're not as performance based. They're, they seem more. Sure. Gra- uh, effect based. And the effects are really mm-hmm. good, but uh, I feel like the first Trolls you itself to acting. Now, it didn't win any acting awards, but I think they felt more like movies, and these feel more like theme park mm-hmm. rides. Really cool theme park rides, sure. but theme park rides.
0: Fair point. I oh, just. Uh, great point. Thought that would be a great way to end this conversation. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe we'll do some Lord of the Rings throwbacks eventually. I know Brian would be down for that. Yeah, maybe when you're Maybe uh, next throwback episode we could throw some Lord of the Rings in there. So sure. let's move on, guys, and let's hit a quick Weekly Recommend.
2: Weekly Recommends.
1: Hey, uh, I'm going to recommend it's, it's Christmas time. We talked about this at the beginning of this episode, but I'm gonna, I was planning to recommending this anyway. Hey, watch Hoboload. It's Christmas time. Why not?
0: Yes. Very simple recommend. Absolutely. Is Home Alone yes. on um, – is it on Netflix or anything?
1: No, it's it's been on ABC Family a lot the last week. Okay. Uh, just and I, as you guys know, the blu okay? Yeah, just buy the Blu-ray. But it is on TV. Uh, and I've just – you guys know I I exclusively watch ABC Family. So uh, cause
2: <laughs> I got – Big, big to, fan of Pretty Little Liars. I
1: got to get my Pretty Little Liars on. Yeah, you know. And so uh, – <laughs> No, but it's uh, it's been it's been on there, and, and uh, yeah, for some reason it's not streaming. Which Netflix needs to get their butt in gear. And uh, mm-hmm. Netflix, a cool promotion would be if they just bought the rights to you know thirty classic Christmas movies and just ran them for a month. Right. On Netflix would be awesome. Yeah. They haven't really do that. They have a couple, but uh, seasonal Netflix would be pretty wicked. But uh, yeah, Home Alone, watch it. It's it's uh, it's not
0: bad. Cool, Brian.
2: I'm going to recommend a movie that's in theaters right now uh, that I I really, really liked, and I've liked more in the couple of days since I've seen it. The more I think Annie? about it, the more I like it. Annie, the the remake, but also the original. Uh, great great films and great soundtrack. Even better soundtrack, I should say. Uh, no, I would probably rather kill myself <laughs> than watch either of those movies but um, it's got a hip hop remix now. <laughs> it makes me sad um, why could you not have gotten upset about that North Korea anyway um, <laughs> the movie that I did see that I, that I, I really liked and, and maybe loved and I think is going to find a spot in my top 10 whenever we do that list and we may end up uh, we may end up doing an episode on it at some point uh, in January when there are no movies that come out but uh, I, I got to see Wild this week, the Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. oh, wow. uh, it, you know, figuring oneself out in the wilderness sort of movie. So, Richard, don't be afraid of the woods. It's not. It's a, not all woods. There's a hey, lot of desert and stuff like that question, as well. Though. So, before, before,
1: yeah. Quick, quick question before you go off on it: Do you know who sure. she is?
2: Do you know who Reese? The person? Is? Yeah. Oh, you know <laughs> yes. Sorry, I okay. Missed the joke. Yeah, she's yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, Um, it it is odd. This is a. I've never been a big fan of Reese Witherspoon. I've also never hated her the way I do Anne Hathaway or or Katherine Heigl or somebody like that. But she's just never been somebody that I personally enjoy on screen or or, hate list. I know, right? Yeah, Renee Zellweger. You know, (laughs) it's uh, it's pretty easy stuff. No, uh, but she's just never been somebody that I've been that interested in. But I thought she was really good in Mud last year, which was my Uh my top movie of the year. And uh, this is this is by far the best performance she's ever given. Um, I know she has an Oscar, an erroneous Oscar, but yeah. uh, this is I would at this point, and we haven't. I haven't seen all of the uh, all the big award films just yet, but at this point, I would be very surprised if she was not accepting an Oscar uh, in a in a couple of months. She is she's magnificent. the uh, The story is really, really raw and really genuine. And uh, I don't, I feel like I've not read this, the book that this is based on, um, but it's, uh, they do not cut any corners or try to make her, uh, the main character look good, which is always a, a very risky proposition. Uh, but I think they did it. The guy who did the, the movie, I can't pronounce his name, so why should I try? But uh, John Mark, uh, something, Valles? Yeah. Va- Valles, I don't know how the French pronounced that. Uh, yeah, Louis Ledier. But the guy did Dallas Byers Club, and I was super impressed with the way he directed that film. And this is possibly even better from a direct, uh, direction standpoint. So I really dug this. I hope people will go and check it out. It seemed like it was doing fairly well in its yeah. first week of, of wide release. And uh, it, it stuck with me. I walked out thinking it was it was a it was a good film, and uh, an hour later, I was thinking more and more about it. And later that night, I was kind of describing some of the stuff that happened to my wife, and I was just like more and more uh, emotionally impacted by it, and uh, really, really dug it. So check out Wild, and, and we may end up doing an episode on it in the in the coming month or so.
0: Cool. Yeah, I had it on my uh, best picture nominees prediction list. So <laughs> mm-hmm. good to hear that it might live I- up to that.
2: Yeah, I I really enjoyed it and I think it I think it definitely has a shot at uh not just a shot. I, I at this point I would be surprised if it's not nominated for several things because uh it's really good and and there's not a you know, this is not a great year for awards, I don't think. So we're I think it's yeah. a fairly safe bet. Right. Um I'm gonna recommend a
0: good old documentary. You can count on me for those. Uh it's a Netflix documentary that they released. And it's about the 3D printing industry. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. Um, It's called Print the Legend. And uh, this documentary basically tells the story of two different companies that are trying to jumpstart this 3D printing revolution. And Mm -hmm. a really cool subject for a documentary – Richard and I talked about three D printing a lot on our radio show back in the day, and have many conversations about.
1: I have uh, I have two of go. them now at my new office. We've two three D, yeah, high res and low res.
0: So this documentary will interest you, Richard. Really cool. It's about MakerBot and uh, one other company that I can't remember, so I'm not going to mention. It's about a couple of of companies, like I said, that are really the leaders in this industry, and uh, and this might be something you know and ten twenty twenty five years it's something big you know people laughed at personal computers in the late seventies and eighties early eighties, and here we are you know people have them I've in their pockets, so it might be it might be something cool, it definitely has the potential to be something revolutionary as far as uh the industry and uh and how we purchase things you know we could purchase things online and print them off in our office, you know a pair of shoes or something could be really cool eventually so Really interesting documentary. It's free on Netflix. They're doing a really good job with the original content. I just want to say on a side note, really some mm-hmm. – they they brought some great stand-up comedy and, and original documentaries and, of course, original programming to Netflix. So they're on top of it, and uh, and I'll recommend this. Print the Legend is my recommend for this week. So, Brian, we're going to find cool. you
2: online. You can find me on the Twitter at bgil 12 and you can find my writing at CanBabiesDrinkRedBull.com. Richard, where can we find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barton. Kent, where can I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison and find our show on iTunes or on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. But only our most most recent 100 episodes show up on iTunes. So if you want anything older than that, you're going to have to go back and look in the archives. If you want to contact the show, head over to our website as well and click Contact. And on that note, we'll see you next time at the cinema.
2: Goodbye.
1: Maybe
0: I hear the blues of are
1: calling toss salads and scrambled eggs.